The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the sixth chapter. Jesus said, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you, of little faith? This is the Gospel of the Lord. After the people of Israel had left Mount Sinai, they went up to the Jordan, to the land of Canaan that God had promised them. God had said, the people that live in this land are a wicked people, and I'm going to take this land from them, and I'm going to give it to you as a gift. You will dwell in houses that you did not build. You will live in cities that you did not set up. You will harvest crops that you did not plant. And so it was, God promised us to Israel, and Israel was there at the gate of their inheritance from the Lord. And they sent in spies to see what was in this land, who was in this land. We probably remember the story. The spies were there, they brought back some of the produce from the land, and they brought back this report. The people who live there are giants, and we are like grasshoppers before them. When the time comes, when we meet them in battle, they will crush us, they will destroy us, we don't have a hope and a prayer. Now, of course, we know it wasn't all of the spies. There was faithful Caleb and Joshua who said, not so, the Lord is on our side. God promised this to us. He's going to give it to us. Why in the world should we think that he would not? But the unbelief of the people in the face of the spies' report prevailed, and they wanted to rebel against God and Moses, saying, we cannot do it. Now, if you think about this people and their situation, especially their situation up until this point, the things that they saw with their own eyes, the things that they witnessed, the raw power of God acting on their behalf, what is their reaction then of not wanting to go in, being afraid to conquer? What is that reaction but absolutely stupid? It's an unbelief, a silly unbelief, a just nonsensical one. They might be able to have said in the moment, hey, maybe we are like grasshoppers. Maybe these Canaanites are everything that you say, but so what? God's on our side. He has shown this. Did you see? Did you not see what he did to the Egyptians? To make sure we could go free. Did you not see what he did at Mount Sinai? How after witnessing this could we not go in and trust in him? That was Caleb's rallying cry in essence. Well that rallying cry was echoed many centuries later by Paul when he was writing to the Romans, the church in Rome. He asks this question, 
which Caleb could have very well asked in his own time and place. If God's for us, who can be against us? If God is on our side, who can stand against us? Now in Romans, it's not about a physical battle that Paul is speaking of, but a spiritual one. We are waging war every person in the weakness of our flesh, and we wonder, can that war be won? In the face of falling back into sin time and again, in the struggle against the old man, the old Adam that lives in us, can there be forgiveness for me? Can I conquer in the fight? Paul answers the question, absolutely. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for all, how can he not also graciously give all? And Paul says, of course, these memorable words. We have been made more than conquerors through him who loved us. We see this at play, these ideas, and the lesson from the gospel today. And that is this. If you have God, you really do have all that you actually truly need. Now, Paul's lesson is a helpful one. Helpful for everybody, but especially, of course, for Christians. If we're not on guard, we will let life's anxieties overwhelm us, sink us, and our frame for life will be a worldly one. We will forget all that God is for us, that, and we'll focus on the things and the people that are against us. We will see the enemies that we have, both physical ones and spiritual ones, and we will think of ourselves as being like grasshoppers in comparison. Who can prevail? What chance of victory, safety, and peace is there? Those are the sort of questions which dominate a life which is characterized by worry and anxiety. This sort of worry, of course, can be circumstantial about a particular problem that we have. It arises when we are facing a problem. But that worry seldom stays there. If you think about your own experience, I bet you'll know that this is true. Worry from one thing pours over into worry about other things and just general worry. It's invasive, kind of like a plant in a garden which you plant and just likes to take over all of the rest of the beds around it. That's what worry is like. Or if you prefer, like a row of dominoes that is set up. You tip one over and the rest, if they are aligned properly, will fall over. Obsession with one thing going wrong in our life often affects all the others, or at least overshadows them. But the matter of fact is, for Christians, this should not be so. This should not be true. For Christians, anxiety and worry should not rule our lives. Now, I'm not trying to minimize problems here when I speak this way. I'm not saying, oh, if you've got a problem right now and it's a big one, oh, just stop worrying about it and it'll be better, okay? We all have problems. We have had them. Things that have overwhelmed us from time to time. Various degrees and seasons of difficulty. And of course, I'd even say this. If it's inside of our power to fix those problems, it'd be foolish not to, right? Pastor says, don't worry, so I guess I just got to live with this. Nope. If you can fix it, take care of that problem as best you can. And even if this is true, you're worried for a while, I'm not saying you're wrong and you shouldn't share it with me or anybody else. But what's not good is letting the worry consume us, the worry drive us to and fro. Because when it happens, 
It's showing that we are having divided loyalties. The gospel lesson today is a very classic one, a really well-loved passage from Matthew about anxiety. And it talks about serving two masters. That's the introduction to it. It's an interesting way to look at anxiety, isn't it? You might think that Jesus talking about having anxiety, he would open with saying, well, sometimes things happen in life you don't really expect. You walk into unforeseen circumstances or they come upon you. Or if it was like a modern popular TV preacher, Jesus would have said, we're living through the storms of life sometimes and we get anxiety from it. That's not how he starts. He starts by offering this juxtaposition. You can't serve God and money, he says, before talking about anxiety. You can't serve God and mammon. Jesus does this because he knows it's at the heart of the matter of anxiety. When we have obsessive anxiety about something or a slew of things, it shows that in that moment, we are caring far too much about the world and the world's treasures and the world and what it has to offer. Or to put it really bluntly, that excessive anxiety and worry that covers everything like a blanket shows that God is actually not for us in that moment truly and fully our God. Our problems are our God. Those are the things that we're fearing. Our solutions that we think could come are our God. Those are the things we are loving and trusting. And it plays out that way, doesn't it? We implicitly think that because of this problem that we have and all the stress that's going along with it, that our security and peace is also circumstantial. We think that if this thing is fixed, then I will be okay. Then I'll be set and I will have nothing to worry about. If I get enough money, this problem will go away. I wonder how many problems like that really that we have truly that could be answered, right? If all of a sudden someone were just to take your bank account and add four zeros after the end of it, how many of your problems would really just truly disappear? I'd probably 98% because you could hire out even the small ones, say, I'm going to pay somebody to do that for me and never have to think about it again. But that's what it sounds like when mammon, money, is our master, our God. And you can see the anxiety it then produces, the way we start thinking about things, right? Our creed, as we confess today, is the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And our prayer is the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven. But when we stop thinking with God as our God and mammon as our God, our creed and our prayer become, if then, if only this, then this will happen, this conditional statement. That's the new creed that we have, the new prayer that we hope in. Mammon is our master when such are our thoughts, and he is a cruel one, a poor master indeed, because mammon is never enough. We know from experience, don't we, that when one problem goes away, another one just comes and takes its place. One ends, another one starts, and that rat race continues all the way to the grave. And this is why Jesus says that we cannot have both God and mammon as a master, and neither should we want it. Mammon finally can't produce the deep things that we are chasing after. 
because security and happiness are found finally only in God. And think just about the imagery that Jesus uses in the gospel lesson. What does worry ever add to your life? I want you to think about a time when something's been going wrong and you've dwelt on it and been worried about it. In that moment, thinking about the thing, worrying about it, being anxious, what has that feeling ever produced for you but more of the same? Compounded the worry into something worse or just a greater degree of worry. What does worry change? The only thing it really changes is the hair color, right? Or the number of hairs in your head. That's the fact of the matter is. It doesn't change anything. It just affects you negatively. God takes care of the birds and the lilies, Jesus says. They don't even know he exists. They have no consciousness of him. Are we not of more value than they are? He has written his name on each one of us individually in holy baptism. He has washed us himself, making us clean. He, God, calls us individually sons and says, you have an inheritance in my kingdom forever. How could we possibly think in the midst of any circumstance, worry or anxiety, that he doesn't know or he doesn't care and he won't in time give us what's best for us? He has, he does, and he will. In season and out of season, God gives us our daily bread. Another illustration, if you think about that Old Testament lesson, the first one I read, you have the widow at Zarephath. If mammon, finally, money were only her God, she would be right to continue in that initial worry that she has about her son and her starving to death. And what's more, she would actually do it. She would have starved. But the Lord is her God. She believed in the Lord through the word of his prophet. And what happened? She had enough. She was provided for. Had mammon been her God, in the end she would have been left without both God and mammon. But when the Lord is her God, she's got both. The Lord, and not enough mammon, but enough bread to live. See, this is why Jesus warns us against chasing mammon. And we set aside this Sunday to make sure we get the point. Mammon disappoints finally in the end, if it's all we're looking at. And moreover, we lose sight of God in the process of chasing mammon. So let us be on guard against this error. As individual Christians, let us be in God's word as frequently as we can and in prayer. Not just to feed our faith, but to keep us grounded in who our true and benevolent master actually is. The God who made us. And what's more, being in the word, I'll say this, also encourages us because it reminds us of these stories that people who, in the Bible, many of them were in worse situations than we ourselves are in or have been in, and we can see how God has taken care of them. If he did it for them, he will do it for you. Should we work, earn a paycheck, get money to spend and buy things and take care of ourselves? Absolutely but with the end only of this Christian vocation, not for chasing bigger barns, but for the sake of better loving the people that God has given us to love. Because when we do this, when we seek a living and mammon according to God's goodwill and pleasure, we are actually seeking his kingdom in righteousness. 
We will have the one thing needful, Jesus Christ, and we can be quite confident that in due time all the rest, according to God's good measure, will be given to us. Amen.